Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Coming close to the end of our study of 2 Corinthians. Uh, we've been going through that here in the last months. Uh, we're in the last chapter today. Next week we uh, take a look at the last four verses. And then after that we have a final test on it. Just kidding, of course. That'd be one way to make sure not very many show up for church on Sunday, huh? How many of you like tests? I knew there'd be one that would raise her hand. I don't either. I didn't raise my hand. Um, you know, it's kind of too bad, though, because uh, life does seem to be full of tests. And a lot of them are for our own good. And if we pass those tests, then there are benefits that make it all worthwhile. And, and that's true, whether uh, it's taking your driver's test at the DMV or a semester test in high school, or a stress test at the medical clinic. And yet, who looks forward to tests? At times, we might be convinced they're necessary, and so in that regard, we might end up anticipating them and dreading them at the same time. Today, we're going to be looking in the last chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, and we see him talking about some tests connected to the congregation. And I see in this passage then three Texts or three tests uh, connected to that congregation, and they're very applicable to our congregation and to any Christian church. And so I invite you to look with me at chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. And would you stand in reverence to God's word as we read? <clears throat> this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, I previously said, when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you but mighty in you, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness, and yet he lives because of the power of God, we also are weak in him, and yet we live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This also we pray for, that you may be made complete. For this reason I am writing these things while absent, so that when present I need not use severity, in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray that as we Meditate on it today that you would help us to grasp the, the tests that uh, 
Paul talks about here for the church at Corinth and for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. A lot of the uh, tests that we take in life uh, test our mental capacities. That driver's permit test, or semester tests, or ACT tests. Some of them test our physical abilities. Um, in school, sometimes they have FIAD physical fitness tests. Um, and as we get older, uh, doctors run us through things like stress tests and other tests to check our physical hearts. There are also tests to check for cancer and various diseases. And usually when we think of the church, we think of it as a place where we don't have to take tests, right? Although, I guess today, if, if, if you'd like, our parish nurse can do that blood pressure check for you after the service, and I, I guess that's kind of a test. However, you know, if you, if you go through, in the Lutheran church, it seems like if you go through those two years of confirmation instruction and you survive catechization night, uh, for the most part, it seems that you're done with tests in the church, right? I find it very interesting that in our text today, we see three tests for the church mentioned. And, and all these tests uh, have to do not so much with our mental capacities or our physical abilities, but primarily with our spiritual hearts and, and then how we live that out in our lives. And so look with me today and we see three tests for the church. The first one I see is this. God-ordained leaders are to test the congregation. That is, they are to test their words and their, and their lives. You know, a lot of people today like to think that what we do and how we live is really nobody else's business. But that's not so if we claim to be Christians. Because how we live our lives reflects on what others think of Jesus Christ and what they think a Christian even is and what they think of the congregation that we attend. When people take a step of membership here at Maranatha, one of the questions that we ask them is this, do you promise to live a life becoming of a Christian and to be faithful in attendance at divine worship? Now why do we ask that? Well, it's because it does matter how we who claim to be Christians live. And our lives are a reflection on each other and on the name of Jesus Christ. The, the Apostle Paul very likely asked some similar things at some point to the people at Corinth. And, and it's clear that some of them, though, were living lives that were not reflecting a heart that had been changed and converted to following Jesus. And there were some, and if you glance back at chapter 12, verse 21, it's one place where it mentions this here. There were some who were still living in open sin, blatant immorality, and they were not repenting of it. And those in leadership of the congregation were not confronting it or dealing with it. And Paul says to them that when he comes, and on his third visit, he will not spare anyone. He'll deal with those issues. And he's trying in this letter to get them to deal with it even before he comes. So when he comes, he'll no longer have to deal with it. But he says, if necessary, he will. And he won't be timid to do so. And it won't matter who they are. It won't matter if, if they're in peop or there are people in the church that have lots of money. It won't matter if they're related to someone important. All are to be on equal ground. And so here we see then, God-ordained leaders are to test the words and the lives of the congregation, not sparing anyone. He says in verse 2, if I come again, I will not spare anyone. And so God-ordained leaders in the Christian church of today, too, 
are to be prepared to do the same when there is blatant open sin. They are not to shy away from those things no matter who's involved, even though we'd rather ignore it than confront it. Because who likes to confront? But how is it to be done then? I believe, first of all, through the preaching of the Word of God. As the Word of God is preached, both law and gospel are declared, and they are applied to all, with the result that the Holy Spirit then applies the law and the gospel appropriately to the hearts of the individual listeners. There's a phrase I learned during my seminary years, I think sums it up well, the goal of the preacher is disturbing the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. Let me explain. Disturbing those who are comfortable in their sin. That's the purpose of the law. To bring conviction to the conscience and remind that there are even eternal consequences at stake. And then the Holy Spirit also comforts those who are disturbed in their conscience and feeling guilty for their sin and offering them the gospel of forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. Repentance of sin and personal faith in Jesus is to be emphasized for all, no matter who you are, in the preaching of the Word of God. And then also, though, when necessary, blatant ongoing personal sin is also to be addressed privately. And if it comes to that, then the confronter is to be very careful to confirm the facts with two or three witnesses. And Paul says that here in chapter 13, verse 1, and he quotes from the Old Testament there, where it says every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And that, I believe, was the Jewish practice, to not even receive accusations against someone without at least two or three witnesses. And it's a good reminder to all of us in the church, too, as well. Good reminder to the House and the Senate, too. How often we might take a person's word as a truth about somebody else and spread it as fact without really checking it out and having it confirmed by others. And Paul has heard about some things, um, about some of the Corinthians, and he's concerned about them greatly. Uh, But he's going to wait until he visits to make sure that there's clear evidence due to two or three witnesses before he rushes to uh, deal with the issues mentioned there. And he'll also then involve the congregation in the process there, dealing with that blatant sin in the camp and, and not be one to stand in judgment on his own. And the congregation then really is testing itself as they deal together with the individuals who are living in in open sin. And so then we see here, God-ordained leaders are to test the congregation's words and lives with the word of God, not sparing anyone but applying it to the whole congregation and being careful to confirm the facts with two or three witnesses. And then also looking to Christ as the example. Verse 3 here, the Corinthians were seeking proof of the Christ speaking in Paul. Since in Paul's past visits, he had seemed to be kind of meek toward them. And Paul responded in his earlier letter by saying that he was following the example of Christ, who was both meek and mighty. And when we look at the life example of Jesus, we see that. At times, he was extremely bold in his message. He pointed out blatant sin and hypocrisy of the religious leaders. <clears throat> and at other times, Jesus' words and actions appear to be weakness, as he didn't fight it when he was falsely accused himself, when he was beaten and he was condemned to death on the cross. Yes, of course, we know that even death couldn't hold him. And the all-powerful Son of God rose from the dead to life again. 
Well, like Jesus, we who are believers in him might appear weak at times. And yet we have the power of the risen Christ living within us. And he gives us a boldness to speak out and to take a stand when needed. And not only are leaders to test the congregation regarding their words and lifestyle, but Paul reminds the congregation they're also, here's the second test, they're to test themselves. Individuals are to test themselves in their own hearts. You know, most tests that we take at school or for a job test our mental capacities, uh, and, and they're administered to us by somebody else. And, and even the tests of our physical abilities are administered by others. We, we don't get to give ourselves that eyesight test at the DMV or, or that angiogram at the hospital, do we? But this spiritual test Paul's talking about here is one where we are to administer to ourselves and we don't have the ability to administer it to anybody else. Verse 5, he says, test yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Each one is to examine their own heart to see if they're in the faith. Now, what's it mean to be in the faith? Well, the Christian life or the Christian faith is a system of beliefs and it's also a relationship. It's a system of beliefs and it's a worldview that recognizes that all mankind by nature is sinful and need of a Savior and believes that Jesus Christ was the Son of God whose death on the cross was our substitution for us if we would believe in him. And so if you're in the faith, then that means that you personally believe in Jesus as your Savior from your sins. And, you, and more simply, you might say this, uh, you know that you are in Jesus and he lives in you. You have a personal relationship with him as your Savior and Lord. So how about you? Are you in the faith? Are you living in repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ? Are you in Jesus and is he living in you? And hopefully you don't resent being asked that question. Lenski says this, he says, true believers never resent that, only people who could not stand a real test are resentful. So how about you? Are you in the faith? And if you fail that test, then you need to recognize the gravity of the situation of being in the church, but not in the faith. Very likely some of those at the church at Corinth were not true believers. They were not in the faith, and Paul would wish to warn them that their eternal destiny was at stake if their faith wasn't real. And the same could be true for someone here today. It's, it's possible for somebody to be going through the outward motions of being a churchgoer. But it hasn't really reached their heart yet. A saying that says going into a church building doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car. One of our fundamental principles of the AFLC stresses this very thing, and it says, and I quote, Members of the organized congregation are not in every instance believers. And such members often derive false hope from the external connection with the congregation. It is therefore the sacred obligation of the congregation to purify itself by the quickening preaching of the word of God, by earnest admonition and exhortation, and by expelling the openly sinful and perverse. And so Paul tells us here, test yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Don't, don't take comfort in your church attendance and fail to deal with your sinful heart that needs conversion. Admit your sins and look to Jesus for forgiveness and new life in him. 
Now, on the other hand, if you do that, you examine yourself, you, you test yourself, and you pass the test. You know that you are a sinner, and, and you're living in daily repentance and faith in Jesus. Then, then take comfort in this. Rest in the promises of God's word. Promises like where it tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and there is great comfort to be found for sinners in the gospel. One other thing about this test, if, if you do pass a test, then, then recognize also the source. If you pass a test and you know that you are one that's living in daily repentance and faith in Jesus, then stop and think about, how, how did I get here? God very likely used some people to share his word with you and to bring you to that point. Have you thanked him for those people? Maybe for that church you grew up in. And maybe thanked some of those people that have been that impact on you in your life. The Apostle Paul knew full well that many of those that were Christians there at Corinth were believers in Jesus Christ because he and his companions had risked their lives to bring the gospel to them on a second missionary journey. And he had been there and he had rejoiced, for instance, when Crispus, the leader of the Jewish synagogue, and his household were converted. And then many others believed as well and they were baptized there. And, and Paul spent a year and a half there sharing the word of God with them. And since then, there were others that had come into the congregation at Corinth. And some of them had sought to discredit him and, and to question his authority as a Christian leader. And Paul is asking the congregation, test yourselves, see if you're in the faith, and he's seeking to then in the process also point out to them that the very fact that they are saved, that they're in the faith, is proof of his God-ordained ministry among them. And they should be thanking him and commending him rather than questioning him at this point. But isn't it strange how Satan gets in there and he likes to twist things in the church? He's out to destroy the church any way he can. And I shared last week here his strategy, three things that stuck out there. One was... He likes to keep sinners in spiritual blindness. And then secondly, to divide and, and weaken the body of Christ and cause suspicions and bitterness and unforgiveness among believers. And then thirdly, to sever the believers from Christ by teaching them false doctrine. If you're one that uh, likes to watch basketball teams this time of year, there's lots of it out there one way or another. Um, and uh, we can observe some real differences in teams at times. Uh, I, I watch the men's team at our Free Lutheran Bible College just a couple weeks ago, play a very fast-moving team from a bigger college and give them a great run for their money, they ended up losing by one point. And they moved the ball so well that nobody cared who scored the points. It was all about teamwork and working together to win. But I've seen other basketball teams where it's every man for himself and his own glory and players are on each other's cases every time somebody messes up and coaches are riding the players and the players are frustrated with their coaches and everyone's upset with the referees. Which type of team would you rather play ball with? Or watch play ball? Which type of team generally goes farther? Isn't it kind of the same in the church? If Satan can get our focus off of the goals of reaching the lost and building up the body of Christ and get us involved in internal scraps, he really limits our effectiveness as a church. And Satan was out to limit and destroy the church at Corinth, and he seemed to be doing a good job of it. And so Paul has needed to address some of these issues head-on and challenge those leaders to test the congregation 
and challenge the individuals in the congregation to test themselves in their own hearts and lives. And lastly, he also shows here that individuals are to do, and here's the third test here, individuals are to test their leaders, to test their teachings and their lifestyles. And that's what the Corinthians should have been doing concerning some of those leaders that they now had, rather than believing the lies that they were told about Paul. Today, too, Christian, or congregations are, are to test their leaders. And that doesn't mean they're to try to make their lives miserable by complaining about everything. That's a test, too, isn't it? So how should a congregation test their spiritual leaders? In 1 John chapter 4, it spells something out pretty clearly here. And there it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard this coming and now is already in the world. And so, from that we see then here, how should you test your leaders? Test them in this way, to see if they're always teaching Christ. Teaching Christ is the very central focus, and not themselves. And then also test them to see if they're living, seeking to be like Jesus. And that means unwavering in truth, but humble in conduct. And the end goal for the leaders in the whole congregation should be not tearing down, but building up the body of Christ, so that they're made complete, verse 10 tells us. And so, is that our goal? Is that your goal and mine at every turn as we work together here at Maranatha? I want to end with a, a poem. It's by an unknown author. It's titled, If You Want to Kill the Church. If you want to kill the church, never go to your church or meetings held there. And if you do go, be late, it's no one's affair. If the weather is bad, either too hot or snowing, just stay home and rest. There'll be others going. But should you attend, be sure and remember to find fault with the work, each official and member. Be sure to hold back on your offerings and tithes. The bills will be paid by the rest of the guys. And never take office if offered the post, but eagerly criticize the work of the host. If not on a committee, your place, be sore. If you find that you are, don't attend anymore. When asked your opinion on this thing or that, have nothing to say, just turn them down flat. And then after the meeting, shine out like the sun by telling the folks how it should have been done. Don't do any more than you possibly can. Leave the work for some other woman or man. And when you see faithful ones work themselves sick, then stand up and holler. It's run by a click. Let us pray. Lord, we smile at that as we think of some of the things that I mentioned, but Lord, you know how any one of us can slip into those attitudes that are destructive in the church. And Lord, you remind us here today that there are tests involved in the church and that leaders are called to test the congregation in their words and their lives and not to be showing favoritism, but to share your word in a way that convicts of sin and points to Jesus at every turn. Lord, help us that we would be faithful to do that. And Lord, 
Give us great carefulness in how we approach those things that need to be dealt with. And Lord, we pray for, for each one of us that, that uh, you would help us to also look within our own hearts. And, and Lord, when we look there, we, we recognize our sin and our failure if we're honest with ourselves. Uh, but Lord, may we know if we're in the faith. May we know if we are living in daily repentance and, and trust in Jesus. And Lord, we pray that each one would take that to heart, that they would recognize there's a difference between just going in the door of a church and having you in our heart and life. And Lord, we pray that as we even gather for communion today, that you would confirm in our hearts that as we are honest with you about our sin, there, there is full forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and there is empowerment to change, and we pray that you would strengthen us in our fellowship with you and with each other to be about your work uh, for your honor and glory. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name.